Balotelli. Aguero! Lewandowski goes through it again! Oh, he just can't do it! You just cannot be that good! That is an amazing goal! I think he's scored a goal every time he's had a shot. What's going on, guys? We are back with the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League, Bundesliga, and Champions League. We hope you enjoyed that last episode where we also debuted our new F1 podcast on AT Sports. But this week we return back to the all normal footballing news of England and Germany. And with me, as always, the transfer news hype to my Erling Haaland, Billy. I'm fine with that as long as I don't have to be Mina Raiola. Uh, the hate that Billy feels for that agent is off the charts it knows no bounds but anyway this week we will be looking at Chelsea's rather disastrous performance against West Brom Tottenham did a Tottenham against Newcastle we'll take a look at Dortmund against Frankfurt and which team really has the 150 million pound gunman up front and we'll also be taking a look at Germany's new classica should we start with Chelsea? Oh, go on then. I mean, it's it's always nice to see, you know, someone build something up and then fall so far. I mean, that literally is just the case with Thomas Tuchel. He took this team from ninth to fourth and made them an actual top four contending team. And then one Thiago Silva red card derails the whole thing. But that's the thing. It was Thomas Tuchel's own fault that Chelsea lost this game because he thought he'd played Thiago Silva against West Brom to get his fitness back up. But you can't do that in the Premier League. I'd I'd argue that you should know that because you can't do that anywhere. It's hard to argue, really, unless you're in the Champions League and you're playing, you know, Locomotive Moscow in the sixth match of the group stages. and you're already qualified. (laughs) Exactly. Like okay, put it this way: if Chelsea had already had top four in the bag, then maybe. But uh, they really don't. I was gonna say that's still there to be to be secured for Chelsea. But I, I don't know. Something happened, and West Brom just went mental. Granted, ten men doesn't help Chelsea, but. This is West Brom, and this is Chelsea, who had only conceded three goals under Thomas Tuchel in the Premier League. Zero at home, by the way. Like, how how does... (laughs) There was a thing on, I think it was TalkSport, that a Sam Allardyce team hadn't scored four goals away from home since 2005. I don't think they've ever scored five away from home. It's like... This is a team who are 19th, still 19th, mind you, in the Premier League. Before yesterday's match, they had 18 points in 30 matches. So a goal difference they had of 20 to 57. 
Now it's 25 to 59. So it's right now minus 34. This team are nowhere near getting out of the relegation zone. I mean, they have to make up nine points or eight points, sorry, to get out of the relegation zone in eight matches, which I don't see happening. So, you know, that's who Chelsea lost to. And Chelsea had aspirations to make top four securely. I mean, I think in an ideal world, Chelsea would be third right now, given the you know the goals they set out at the beginning of the season. But then again, this was such a as as good as West Brom were, as clinical as West Brom were. Yeah, they were all goals of Chelsea's own making. I like Jorginho, an much, absolute yeah. shocker. How he lasted 72 minutes is beyond me because he gave the ball away that led to Thiago Silva's first yellow card, gave the ball away that led to the red card, <laughs> and gave the ball away that led to Pereira's second goal. Thiago Silva must be looking at Jorginho after that match and going, you've just gotten me benched for two matches. <laughs> Not even that. I think he's probably got to have a look at himself. And funnily enough, it was West Brom earlier in the season where I said he'd been exposed after playing in France for so long. True. Wasn't that his first match? I want to say it was almost his first match that he had with, with, with Chelsea. First or second. I think he'd come on once before or something. But, like, yeah, okay. Defensively, awareness, defensive awareness could be top draw. But there comes a time where your legs won't do what your brain tells them to as quick as they used to. You know, yeah. it was it was a nice little stopgap. It was a nice little holiday in London for him. But there's no way they can keep him for another season and not try and buy someone else. I'm going to make a big shout here. You put in Rudiger instead of Silva. That might go a different way. It probably does because Thiago Silva missed like 10 games or something. And it was like, oh, he just got back fit. And Thomas Duca, even afterwards, says, oh, look, I'll take full responsibility for that. And the, the thing that it didn't annoy me, but it always slightly gets to me is when it, his red card, the second yellow, was such a late tackle. And then he stands up and goes, no, no, I, it wasn't a foul. It's like, mate, he didn't even have the ball. The way he jumps in as well, like he at the at the beginning of that move, it looks like he's just trying to block the shot. But then, you know, after the ball's left the West Brom striker's foot, he makes another jumping tackle into the guy. Like, what do you expect? Especially when you're already on a yellow card in the first half. Like, how dumb do you have to be? Like, like I said, I don't think that he's anything special anymore and I don't think that Chelsea team's anything special because the only player I'd have out of that Chelsea team didn't even start the game and that's Mason yeah. Mount yeah. yeah I'd argue still that you know Chelsea have two decent options instead of putting Thiago Silva at the back I would have taken either Andreas Christensen or Antonio Rudiger over Thiago Silva in that position Definitely. I think there's got to be something said for the way West Brom played. For a team that have conceded so many goals, they didn't look like conceding a lot. 
like Chelsea's first goal, the Christian Pulisic's goal, you know, it came after Alonso had hit the post. Yeah, yeah. From a free kick. And Mason Mount, he had no he had an open goal. Like, how could you not? Well, Timo Werner missed one in the international <laughs> break, which is probably I'm why I didn't take the shot on there. The guy's probably going to end up being Chelsea's best assist giver just because he's too shit scared in front of goal to miss it again. So he's just like, eh, you know what? I'd, I'd rather square it before I take my own shot, which is depressing because he was one of the most lethal finishers in the Bundesliga last season. And now this season, he's just, you know, the confidence level is just shot. Well, on the topic of lethal strikers, Callum Robinson has scored five Premier League goals in total. <laughs> All five of them have come against Chelsea. There is a stat and a half. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't know. The best part was he was he was subbed on for none other than former Chelsea player Branislav Ivanovic. Well, that's the thing. Daro Shea came off for Ivanovic. Ivanovic then got injured like fifteen minutes later. It's like okay, well, we might we'll just throw the kitchen sink at this. You take off a, a defender and put another striker on. I think that might be one of the best substitutions Big Sam's ever made. Probably. I mean, Ivanovic is 37, so he probably wasn't... He's not the freshest. Yeah, that was a weird... Like a weird signing, Branislav Ivanovic. I guess they wanted an experience, but... Mm, I don't know. But I think the most interesting thing is going away from the matches, now looking at the top four situation, because Liverpool, a team that we said more or less, you know, a few weeks ago, were probably not going to get Champions League and even Europa League would be a stretch. They're now level on points with Tottenham and are in sixth, and they're only two points behind fourth place Chelsea. So top four is still very much open at this point with eight matches left to go. Yeah, but it's worth it's worth noting that West Ham have played a game less and they've got the same points. And Everton have played two games less and they're six points. Fair enough. But I'd still argue, you know, being two points off of Chelsea at this point, Chelsea might actually have their work cut out for them. Imagine Everton win both their games in hand. All of a sudden, they'd be at 52 points in 30 matches and they'd be above Chelsea in fourth. Oh, let's get Carlo's tricky blues into the Champions League. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I've got a Imagine that, Everton, Everton in Champions League and Liverpool in the Europa League. Oh, I'd love it. I've got a love-hate relationship with Everton because back in like the early 2010s or something, three seasons on the spin, they had a say. It was almost like the final blow as to who won the league. <laughs> like they we were four two up against them at home they came back and drew four all and then united lost the league on goal difference so if you don't throw that two goal lead away probably win the league win. the city don't win the first one and then the season after they beat the unbeatable man city at goodison park 
like three nil or something. Leon Osman's got an absolute screamer. It's like, why could you not have done that last year? <laughs> Just a bit of a biased uh, bitterness from Billy over here. <laughs> yeah. And they wouldn't let us have Mauro Anfellaini and Leighton Baines for a combined fee of 30 million, which I think is just selfish. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. Well, should we move on to the next one? I think we shall, because uh, this is going to cause some arguments. I I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the match first and then we can get to that argument. But as you said in the intro... Tottenham did a Tottenham Spurs, the bottle job club of the UK. They've gone and done it again (laughs) against 17th place, Newcastle United, no less. Are you just depressing? First of all, they go behind against Newcastle, like a team they should be beating all day long. Then Harry Kane, you know, produces a Harry Kane, four minutes really and scores two goals in that span and then they concede in the 85th does it get more Tottenham than that I can make that more Tottenham for you when I tell you that Joe Willock's on loan from Arsenal (laughs) oh my god (laughs) which is a whole new level of funny that's a whole new level of shithousery my friend Jesus Christ. It's also worth remembering that Joe Linton couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat, but he he loves a goal (laughs) against Tottenham. He scored his first Newcastle goal against Tottenham in a a win for Newcastle. It's It's just also one of those teams, you know, Newcastle, they used to be something of a solid midfield team. Then they kind of dropped out, almost went to championship. And now they're just kind of ghosting around the bottom third of the table. And then you'd think, you know, Spurs, they desperately, desperately, desperately need a win. They need to get up into that top four uh, spot to even have any hope of retaining Harry Kane. And then they go and produce something like that. Well, that's that's the thing. So after, I want to... I want your opinion on this because afterwards Mourinho was asked like, oh, you know, you've always been like historically your teams have always been very good at holding on to a lead. And he yeah. was just there like, well, that's different set of players. So he clearly doesn't think these players are good enough because you he can't. He knows these players aren't good enough. You can't be telling me that in Jose Mourinho's ideal world, I think in Jose Mourinho's ideal world, he wouldn't be Tottenham manager. Probably not. I think in his ideal world, he'd still be uh, either Real Madrid, wouldn't have been sacked from Chelsea again, or it would have worked out properly at United. I don't think Tottenham was ever part of the plan. No, I'm pretty sure the only reason he is at Tottenham right now is because they were the only club that were going to take him as manager and he wanted to stay in the Premier League. <laughs> but you I know, re- I refuse to believe a manager who once had the best defence in the Premier League when he had like John Terry, Carvalho, Ashley Cole. Yeah, yeah. Is happy with Joe Rodon, Jaffet Tanganga, 
Davidson Sanchez and Sergio Reguilón. Doesn't really scream top six defensive line. That screams like a midfield back line, if we're being honest. I mean, Jeff at Tanganga, yeah, he's, you know, a solid talent that Tottenham themselves have produced. But, you know, nothing special. Davinson Sanchez, always good for a freaking moment of madness. Ergo, that challenge that we debated so hotly, I think it was against Arsenal. Yeah, it was. Um, Sergio Reguilón was only really taken into that team because of the performance he put in against United in the Europa League last season, if we're being honest. And Joe wrote on who? Like, I still don't know who he is. (laughs) He came from Swansea. So I don't think there was any, like, actual thinking that he was going to play a lot of games, but they just don't have anyone else. Like, Alderweireld is injured still. Eric Dyer is useless. Yep. So. Son's not starting either. Still coming back. I don't know. There's. He's also got something against Deli Alley. I think it's, it's his attitude, though, because you, you, you go back to the all or nothing series. Yeah. He calls him out like day one. He goes, I, I know I like that your you're, you're lazy. You are a lazy trainer. And yeah. Mourinho strikes me as a person I've never met him, so I can't say for sure. If you don't put all of your effort in all of the time, you just won't get a game. So I guess we're seeing that in action, more or less. Because, I mean, a, mid- a midfield three of Tangai and Dombele, Giovanni Lo Celso and Pierre-Emil Hoiberg is not the most dynamic of midfields. No. I'd argue that Lo Celso is sort of like the pass master, really. Um, Hoiberg and Ndombele are more like the enforcers who are there more for a crunching tackle than they really are for any midfield prowess going forward. Um, and then that front three, without Hongming Son, it just looks like an average front three. And everyone was like, oh, just look at that. Spurs, they, they'll have Bale, Kane, and Son up top. They'll do bits. And then this season, the only one who's actually doing bits is probably Harry Kane. Because I mean, Son kind of tapered off after you know the Christmas break, the turn of the year, and then you know various injuries. You know, I'm sorry, who is Vinicius? He's on loan from Benfica. So he's the B Tech Vinicius Junior that uh, that Real Madrid have, and even that Vinicius isn't that. I was going to say that's he's nothing to write home about. Exactly. And then Tottenham have the B-Tech version of that. It's not exactly a team that, you know, boasts, yeah, we're going to be a top six side and we're actually going to get top four. Like for all the money Tottenham have, you know, the stadium that they built, the the club that they want to be, they really don't have a shred of the talent that they need to put themselves into that position long term. 
and I'm sorry, Larice never was a was a you know a goalkeeper as you say to write home about. That back line we were already taken apart, you know the midfield three, eh. and save for Harry Kane and Hyman Son, the rest of the attacking options they've got are Europa League level at best. Well, I mean, especially after Gareth Bale comes out and says, "Oh yeah, I only use Tottenham as a." a way to get some game time before the Euros. Once the Euros are finished, I'm going back to Real. Why would you say that? You know you've got a manager who's very touchy-feely with the whole... Uh, with people talking to the press and that. And mentality-wise. It was funny, though, because... Uh, is it AS or IS or something? The Spanish newspaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're back... Sports page was Bale threatens to return. <laughs> See, I think th- Gareth Bale has just done himself no favors in either way by making that same because he's alienated Jose Mourinho and Tottenham supporters for the most part. But it's not like he's going to be the prodigal son that returns home and is welcomed with open arms when he returns to Madrid. When he goes back to Madrid, the majority of people there hate him as well because of his attitude before this loan. It'll be interesting for Tottenham, though, because they still have that cup semi, that cup final. That's basically their only ticket to any sort of... Any trophy. Well, any trophy that, 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 you know, that's not even the main bit. I think that's their ticket to any sort of, you know solid season result because in all intents and purposes, if they don't get that trophy and they miss out on top four, it's been a shit season. I'd walk if I was Mourinho from that because he's at risk of getting sacked again because Tottenham... yeah, that's also because he's not getting the players he get, he, he should, he needs really. Yeah. But Tottenham don't spend a lot of money. The last time they spent big, they spent the Gareth Bale money on about six or seven really average players and Christian Eriksen. Yeah, I never will understand what the thinking behind that was. You know, when was you've Daniel got, Levy already the chairman at yeah, that point? When you've got people like Vlad Kilikesh, Etienne Capu, uh, Roberto Soldado. Oh, that's the one that sticks out in my mind. The most average striker to ever, ever grace the Premier League. Utterly ridiculous. I've got the perfect analogy for Tottenham. It's like when, uh, when a small kid dresses up in like their parents' clothes, and they think they're an adult. Yep. It's like no, you're not. You look ridiculous. Back, back where you belong. Tottenham aren't a big team. They never have been. They've got a very nice stadium and a couple of very nice players. But they're not a Liverpool, they're not a Chelsea, they're not even an Arsenal. Arsenal have won the league. Arsenal have won the Arsenal FA Cup have more, most yeah. amount of times. Tottenham don't have as many Premier League wins as Arsene Wenger. And he's not managed for like three, four seasons. That alone discounts them from being... I'm sorry, but Arsenal are a bigger team than Tottenham. Oh, God, yeah. And even that Arsenal want a very big team now anyway. But they're still that, exactly that's my Tottenham. that's my point. That's my point. That's my point. 
You know, Arsenal right now, we don't, we've said they officially can't be counted towards a top six anymore because they're a bang average midfield side. But their history still makes them a bigger club than Tottenham Hotspur because Tottenham Hotspur, as much as they might, you know, still have a chance at European football, they're ghosting around European football. They're never going to get very far. Their closest thing, the closest thing they were getting to real European glory was when they made it into the final and they were outclassed by Liverpool anyway. I'd argue they were cheated with that handball, but let's not let's not dig up that. Uh, the, I was about to say. <laughs> We've not got time to go into that. Especially because you still are trying to make some very, very interesting points here about a specific yes. Tottenham player. So again, full credit to Newcastle, but Tottenham are shocking. Harry Kane. Got 19 goals and 13 assists in the Premier League this season. And I I would argue he is a very close second to Robert Lewandowski for best number nine in the world. I'm going to argue that there's a bit more bit more daylight than a close second between him and Lewandowski. But but you you seem to have not finished your point here. Well, City are in need of a striker. The point I want to make is if he joins City and he's in that City team, he will score 30-plus goals a season because he doesn't have to drag that team across the line like he does with Tottenham. Okay, I also told you what I what I told you yesterday. I don't doubt that he could probably knock in 30 goals a season or maybe 32, 33, maybe 35 goals, but he'd do that in 38 matches. Not like not like Lewandowski did it in 26. This is where I'm saying there's still a like there's still a little bit to go until he makes all at Lewandowski level. Because Lewandowski scores 50 he's he's been involved in 53 percent of Bayern's goals this season and Bayern have one of the if not the most ruthless attack in Europe this season it's interesting though because I'd argue that Kane offers more to the team than Lewandowski does which sounds batshit crazy when you think of how many goals Lewandowski scores but Kane offers more to his teammates in terms of like assists and that. Yeah, okay. If you look at it statistically, he might have more assists on the docket than Lewandowski does. But if we're being realistic here and watching the styles of play, Lewandowski tracks back. He helps out defensively. Like that's the whole point. He's added so much more to his game. And if you hear, you know, Harry Kane himself say that Lewandowski is the most complete striker he knows and the way he helps out his teammates. I mean, Harry Kane himself has said it. You can Google it. Oh, I believe you. I'm not I'm not going to sit here and accuse you of lying about that because he, he arguably is the most complete striker. But I think if you had Harry Kane in a team with the same quality of players around him that Lewandowski has, I think they would score similar goals in a season. Then I'll bring out the final card in my in my sleeve and say, I doubt Harry Kane would be on track to break a record that has stood for fifty years. But do you though? Because he doesn't. Again, you put him in that situation. You put him in that 
same environment. You swap Lewandowski and Harry Kane round. So have Lewandowski dragging Tottenham through and Harry Kane with Muller, Gnabry, Goretzka, Sane, Coman. Yeah. Maybe not as close as Lewandowski's going to get, but I'd argue he'd probably get quite close to it. Possibly, possibly. But I'd still argue that of the two, Lewandowski is still the better striker in that in that sense, and I don't. I also think that the reason that that you could make the argument that Kane offers more to his teammates is because he literally has to put a team on his back. But if Lewandowski were put in the same position as Kane, he'd probably do the same. Yeah, that's what I mean. Harry Kane drags that Tottenham team across finish lines every season. He is like the the only he's like a running engine that is, you know, doing everything possible to drag a totaled car across the finish line. That is literally the perfect analogy for it. Like the engine is fine, but the rest of the car is just banged up. You know, two wheels are off, windshields completely bashed in, dents and scrapes all over the all over the bodywork like that. That is that is Tottenham Hotspur. Well, on the subject of Robert Lewandowski, shall we talk what was billed as the title decider and ended up being about as interesting as watching paint dry? I mean, you say uh, say it as if it wasn't you who billed it as the title decider, but I'm pretty sure if we go back about a month on this podcast, you yourself said the Bundesliga title would probably come down to the 3rd of April. But just just thought I'd throw that out there, you know. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't wrong, but it wasn't the spectacle I was hoping for. But then again, no. Leipzig buying games very rarely are. Are you kidding? This, this is the same match that about three, no, four years ago now was a five to four. Yeah, very rarely. Literally, the, the the other like the first, the first Bayern Leipzig match this season ended three two. Again, that's that's two games out of a possible thirteen. Okay, I'll give you like the last two se- the two previous seasons they Bayern and Leipzig drew all four matches they had in those previous two seasons. Fair enough. But here's the thing. I think just because the goals weren't there, it's hard to argue that it was as boring as watching paint dry because Leipzig started off the second half with nine to zero shots. Like Bayern didn't get a single shot off until about like the 70th minute. Like, yeah, but they only had two on target, so they can't have been very good. Well, yeah, I mean, th- that's the thing. Julian Nagelsmann in the post-match conference said they were better than Bayern in every available statistic except, you know, goals. the the most important one, goals. And that's this is one debate that I want to have with you is if you're really better than the other team, but the other team still manage to score more goals, does that mean you were actually the better team? No. No, it's like people that 
get wet over expected goals and XG and things like that. Utterly pointless. I bet Julian Nagelsmann was sat at home going, oh, yeah, but we had 6.32 XG compared to their 1.7. It's like, Julian, it makes no difference. You've got to put them away because it's, it sounds like such a cliche thing to say, but it happens all the time. They're like, oh, well. Um, Better team lost. Aston Villa had 68% of possession, but. Watford had the, the stat that mattered the most when they scored. It's like, that, at the end of the day, that's what football comes down to. You don't get points for having more expected goals. You don't have you don't get bonus points for having plus 10 shots on target. Well, okay, but then I'll make the argument and seeing as this also, it touches more of a nerve with me, but it'll also touch a bit of a nerve with you because you, ha- you don't like Chelsea very much. But final 2012 Champions League, Bayern dominated the match, but still ended up losing. Would you still make the same argument? Yeah, because Bayern didn't put their chances away. Fair enough. And I know a final is a, an isolated an isolated thing, but yeah, it was your home Champions League. Yeah, Chelsea scored with that Drogba header right near the end, but Bayern had about three or four other chances. Three or four? Talk about 13 or 14. Well, there we go. You had a plethora of chances to finish that game off. You know, you don't win a Champions League title because you had more shots on target than Chelsea. Yeah, okay. No, because I was I was gonna say, like, I I'm I agree with you. Like, if at the end of the day, the one statistic that you know that that you aren't better than the other team in is the one that that the you know is the deciding one. Set and like you know the deciding goals, then it's hard to call yourself the better team because at the end of the day, football is a very much uh, I only think of the German word right now, a very, very much just it comes down to the yeah, it's a result driven sport. You can have as many team, you can have as many shots on target, you can have as much possession as you want. You can play beautiful football, but if at the end of the day, that does not get you that plus three points. It was all for nothing. Yeah, it's like when United used to draw games that they shouldn't be drawing against teams. When Louis Van Howard would come out and go, oh yeah, but we had like 70, 80% possession. Like, cool. Like you, you do that, do with that what you will, but that means nothing. I'd rather, a possession is nothing in football these days. No, I mean, I'm pretty sure we, th- at the very latest, people saw that possession does not mean anything when Celtic beat Barca 1 0 or 2 1 in the Champions League. What was that, 2013? 2013, 2012, 2013 something, season. Yeah, so, something around there. And, and, and Barcelona, I think, had 91% possession, but Celtic just took the two, the two singular chances that they had and they scored them. And at the end of the day, you know, a win's a win. You know, I'll, I'll take Dominic Toretto's uh, great little words here from Fast and Furious. It doesn't matter if you beat, if you win by a millimeter or by a mile. Winning's winning. That's what I mean. That game could have been 6-0 or 1-0. It means but the plus three. It's yeah, exactly. plus three. You don't get more points. You know, Bayern are never going to lose a, a league title on goal difference. No, 
So it, it, you can really say it doesn't really matter. But would you agree with me when I say that, that is the new classica? I want to say yes, but at the same time, I'm still my heart still says no because Leipzig have only done this, or the Leipzig Bayern matches have only become that much of a title decider or that much of a big match in the last three years, I'd argue. Dortmund versus Bayern has been, you know, the build match for the last 10 years as being the match to watch in German football. So I think until it really becomes the new Klassica, Bayern, I mean, sorry, Leipzig would have to solidly perform at the number two level in Germany for another couple of years. I think they probably have to win it. Yeah. They have to show that they are capable of actually beating Bayern at this point. And if we're being honest, one win in 13 matches is not really telling me all that much that they're very capable of beating Bayern. Given yesterday, they showed that they definitely can take a match to Bayern and make it a very tight one and also have the chances to win. My only, my only issue with that is why they didn't play like that against a struggling Liverpool team in the Champions League. Because against Liverpool, a shadow of the team that played against Bayern at the weekend, this past weekend, played against Liverpool in that Champions League uh, round of 16 match. It was depressing. Like, you compare those... This is why... This is what gets me about German football, is that so many Bundesliga teams are like, oh, we played so well against Bayern. Well, yeah, cool. You did that in one or two matches in this season. If you can't do that over a season, you're no good. That's what I mean. Long, you need to do it longevity. You can't have patches of being really good and then have patches of being really terrible. Exactly. Like you can't, you can't tell, like Leipzig can't come up here and say, you know, oh yeah, we're going to, you know, we were the second powerhouse in Germany now just because we've taken one match to Bayern this season. Like, no, you lost the other match and there was a period in this season where you were not, you know, near the second spot, the second place. Like you need to consistently be up there on second and you need to, you know, take a title or two as well. Which if they do manage to keep a team together and they don't go the same route as Dortmund, selling all their players, then they actually have a chance of doing. Because I think the management at Leipzig definitely know what they're doing and they definitely have a clear plan. Like they have the mentality at Leipzig is there to win titles. They just now need to manage to keep a team together for long enough to build a project that is capable of doing so. I was going to say they need to keep hold of their best players and they, they're already not doing that. I was going <laughs> to say these last two lost, seasons. They've already lost Dea Upamecano before the season's already finished. And last season they lost their best striker. So do you know what this also this also brings up a, a another point which Nagelsmann also said you know he said at the end of the day the difference is 31 goals that Bayern have scored more this season and I'm going to put that down to the strikers they've got because they sometimes play Danny Almo and uh, Christopher and Cuckoo up top who in my eyes are something more of like a number 10 role yeah, they're or not... like a center for like they, they'd be like on FIFA, they'd be center forwards. You know, it's not really a full blown striker. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Emil Fulsberg's played there a lot as well, which is baffling. 
I still think Fosbeck is a decent player in his uh, like in his own right. But then if you've got two actual strikers in Yusuf Paulson and Alexander Solod, who we've criticized very often on this podcast, that is just not a good enough striking force to contend. And I'm going to fully agree with Nagelsmann in his assessment is that, you know, if you want to win titles, you can't be scoring 31 goals less than the first place team if you're the second place team. That's like the that's the kind of chasm you you'd expect between the first place and you know the seventh place team, or the eighth place team. Not first and second. I I still think they they still wouldn't be that close if they kept Timo Werner. Because I'd like, argue they'd be a little closer, but still, it'd be a little closer, but it would still be like twenty goals. Yeah, but you just have to look at this goal difference. Bayern have scored, given Bayern's defense is nowhere near as good as Leipzig because Leipzig are tied with Wolfsburg for the best defense in the league at 22 goals conceded and Bayern have scored, have conceded 35. But then again, you just look at the, the goals Bayern have scored and that's 79 versus Leipzig's 48. Stupid. They need to stop selling. They're, they're going to turn into Dortmund. That's my point. That's my point. If they if they keep going down this path of selling their best players, it will turn into Dortmund, which I think is a beautiful segue into, into, Borussia, Dortmund. into Borussia Dortmund and Frankfurt. And before we touch on the match, I think, you know, just because we've, just, we've now said it, can we please just finally, finally put this out there that Dortmund's management needs to completely be revamped? Like they need to get Vatska out. They need to get Sok out. Zama is the only one who I think is competent enough and has the, menta- the right mentality. Fight the power. Revolution. Yeah, but, that, no, but, but seriously, Vatskins and Sok are the, are the two masterminds of the Dortmund mentality that the minute a player becomes ripe enough to sell for a solid amount of money, preferably a nine-figure sum, they will do it. I... <sighs> If uh, if I was a Dortmund fan, I don't know any. You may. I know a couple. But I would be apps. You just would be absolutely raging, wouldn't you? You know, yeah. you have you have uh, Usman Dembele. You get him from Ren. He has an absolute whirlwind of a season. You then ship him out to Barcelona for a hundred mil. You get Pierre Emerick Aubameyang who has arguably the best period in his career at Dortmund, who then refuses to turn to, turn up to training because he wants to go to Arsenal. Jadon Sancho will probably leave. Erling Haaland, if he doesn't leave this summer for that ridiculous asking price, will definitely go next summer when his release clause is activated. That, that's, my, that's my point. Dortmund's management let players dance around on their nose as the German saying goes they literally just let them do what they want you know at some point you just have to remind a player like Haaland when his entourage starts you know hearing proposals from other big teams a day before your probably most important match of the season like you you can't tell me that that's not going to screw with some of the players heads in that dressing room that's not going to that's not going to, you know, take a knock at team morale when your top strikers entourage is already window shopping where he could next play. 
that does something to a dressing room. And that's the thing. He's an important player, but he's still a young player. When you've got people like Hummels, Marco Royce, I'd even argue argue like people like Lucas Piszczek. Take him to yeah. one side or just bollock him. Yeah. Which for people in Germany is like, shout at him. That's nothing <laughs> literal. But it's like, you need to say, look, you need to keep this private. You need to tell that horrendous gremlin of an agent. No. Or leave yeah. him. If he if he says no, well, look, I do things my way. Just just leave. Do what Lukaku did and just leave. You know, yeah. surely his dad has got enough respect for Dortmund and his son to say, yeah, okay, maybe this isn't an ideal thing to do. Essentially, whoring yeah. his son out for like the reports, like Alfing Harland wants thirty million. Fuck off. Literally, the 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 fees to pay Haaland's entourage already combined to a total of 40 million, with 20 going to 20 supposedly going to Raiola and 20 supposedly going to Haaland's dad. If you as a club are already hearing this, you'd just already be turned off by that. You'd already be sitting there thinking, I might be able to get the best striker of his generation. But if I have to pay 40 million alone to his entourage just for them getting me that player, that's a freaking that, that's ridiculous. I can't understand. And also, while we're on the subject of Harlem, before we talk uh Eintracht Frankfurt quickly, why are they even bothering with Barcelona, who are billions of euros in debt? Where are they finding this 150 million euros to pay? For Erling Haaland. That's also my point. I'm sorry, but you know, both teams, Real Madrid and Barcelona, are huge in massive amounts of debt. You know, obviously Madrid aren't so much in debt uh, or as much in debt as Barcelona, but Madrid still have a solid mid nine figure sum that they still owe to various creditors. And Barcelona owe over a billion to different creditors. They don't have 150 million to spend. Manchester City have gone out in the form of Pep Guardiola and said that they cannot spend the money that Dortmund are asking for Haaland this season. I'm sorry, but Manchester City have money that that eclipses any other club's, you know, thought of a solid bank account. Yeah, I think when Man City are going, that might be a little bit too much. That should be saying something. That should probably be your cues to go, oh, maybe, maybe we are taking the piss a little bit. Yeah, I'm sorry. But, you know, especially post-pandemic, you can tell me what you like, but no club is coming out of this pandemic and saying, do you know what? We could still spend the same amount as we did as we could before the pandemic. Like, no, this pandemic, it doesn't matter if you're Watford or if you're Manchester United, you probably took a hit. Like the, it's it's not like you walked away from this without at least a couple bruises financially. No club should be even coming close to spending that much money on a player. But is a player? Is that not kind of the point though? Is that not what Dortmund are doing? 
And I wouldn't surprise me if Mikel Zork had gone, okay, just go around and let everyone know that if they want to spend double what they'll pay for him next summer to get him now, they can. Knowing full well, no one's going to go, there you go, there's 150 mil. Cash that. I don't know about that. Or I don't do know about think, that, to be honest. Do you think Mikel Zork and the, and the Dortmund management aren't that shrewd? I wouldn't put it past him to be that shrewd, but here's the thing. The reason I don't think that's the case is because they did not publicly come out. Oh, it might actually be the case. It, it might actually be exactly that bit of evidence, but no Dortmund management came out and said, you know, they wanted to, uh, or they, they were, they were appalled by what Haaland's entourage were doing. But what I think, and I'm in agreement with uh, Didi Haman on this, is that Dortmund's management don't have the balls to tell their star player, what the fuck you doing, bro? I don't think they're that shrewd. And I, to be honest, I wouldn't put it past them, but I don't believe they're that shrewd in saying, oh, do you know what? Let everyone know what your asking price is just to, just to scare everyone off this summer. And then we won't say anything. I genuinely think that they are just like, oh my God, I just, we don't want to, we don't want to piss off his agent. We don't want to piss him off. We don't want to piss his dad off. Don't say anything. And that is just weak leadership from on Dortmund's part. And that's why they will forever be a number two team. They will never win any titles as long as Bayern are still at the level they are. And they just won't progress to the team that they probably could become. It's a total mentality thing at this point. It is not because of the quality of players that Dortmund have. Not a chance. Well, yeah, I, I find it really difficult to argue with that. And on the subject of one hot striker, to oh, one that scored more segue. goals than Haaland, and I don't mean Robert Lewandowski. Should Frankfurt be asking for more money than Haaland if anyone comes knocking for Andre Silva at this point? I mean, probably not because they won't get it. But I mean, he's got to be close to Luka Jovic levels. I mean, he's better than Jovic right now, but he's he's better than Jovic right now and I'd argue he's probably even better than Jovic during Jovic's unreal 2018-19 season and I know that's a bold shout because Jovic completely you know he was he was dicking everyone in the Bundesliga at that point it's just mad for someone who was so bad at AC Milan to just settle like he has and it's it really has gone under the radar because Lewandowski's got 35 goals already. Oh and yeah. That- and the yeah, definitely. And the thing the thing is also like, you know, 25 goals and three assists in what was it? 25 go- 22 goals and three assists in 25 matches. And that's in the Bundesliga alone. And this guy will probably not start in the Portuguese national team over Diogo Jota, which is a that's a criminal offense. Did he? I'm go, sorry, but did he even go with the Portugal national team on the last international break? 
I'll have a look at that actually. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see actually. Yes, he did. Wore the number nine, as a, as a matter of fact. Oh, man. Just look at that team, though. Andre Silva, Cristiano Ronaldo, Diogo Jota, Pedro Neto, and Joao Felix, just for, you know, striking positions. Bruno Fernandes Bruno, in the 10. Oh. Bruno Fernandes, Renato Sanchez, uh, Danilo Pereira, Bernardo Silva, Joao Moutinho, Ruben Neves, all for the midfield. And then you've got... Cedric Suarez, okay. Eh. Ruben Diaz, who, you know, made City's defense. Rafael Guerrero from Dortmund. Pepe. Joao Cancelo. Like, this is not a... This is a stacked team that Portugal's got. But I'm, I'm going to make the big point now, and I'm saying it... I'm, I'm saying this with a full... Like, with full awareness of what I'm saying... I would start Andre Silva over Diogo Jota if I were a Portuguese national team coach. Yeah, he offers you that proper number nine. Play Ronaldo one side and Jota the other. Yeah, I, but, it's it. Also, who can we just talk about Freddie Borwich's shrewd management for Frankfurt, getting rid of Ante Rebic and in the exact like as a trade getting Andre Silva. <laughs> You must be sitting there in Frankfurt just going, <laughs> king of the castle, king of the castle. I've got the chair, king of the castle. <laughs> like, come on. It's a proper... It was a weird one, though, because you, you look at it when it happened with what Anti Rabic did last season, and it's like, why have you done that? Yeah. What if, why have you let... You've sold Jovic, you've sold Sebastian Allaire, and you've sold and you've gotten rid of anti Rabich for some Portuguese striker who couldn't buy a goal at that point. They only they were only left with Philip Kostic. And now it's like, okay, anti Rabich can't get in the AC Milan team. And yeah. Andre Silva is only second in the top goal scoring charts in the Bundesliga to some mythical creature. <laughs> In the form of Robert Lewandowski, yeah, yeah, it, it's it just shows you how quickly fortunes can turn. Like it's unbelievable. I mean, no one—I don't think anyone predicted this type of turnaround. Last thing before we finish, though, I think Dortmund of Man City in the Champions League. I've said to one of my mates who supports City. That ties over in the first leg. They'll they'll win that four 0 because yeah, probably Sancho's still injured, and the defense is nothing to write home about. The only threat they have is Haaland, which is arguably a sizable threat. But I think there's surely there's no way unless Ruben Diaz has some sort of like horrendous brain shutdown and just lets him go through. I mean, I'd argue that Haaland might get one in and make it 4-1, but the problem is, is that that's your sole lifeline, Haaland. And if we're being honest, Haaland against Frankfurt couldn't get a goal in. Like, in the direct comparison between Haaland and Andre Silva, both on 21 goals at that point in the season, Andre Silva comes up big in the 87th minute to make it 2-1 and score the winning goal, and Haaland is left goalless. 
I think that's pretty telling. And also when Haaland was playing with Norway against teams that were definitely better than Norway, he did not look half the striker that he was or that he is at Dortmund. Can I make a can I make a point? Yes, please. I think the way to stop Haaland is to not mark him, it's to mark the players that feed him. Service him, yeah. So if you can mark uh, Thorgan Hazard, if you can mark Marco Royce, Julian Brandt if he plays, if you can mark them, he won't score. I think that's where Sevilla, definitely, they put three or four players around Erling Haaland. But they didn't stop the service. Yeah, and you know, at that like Haaland is still good enough that he will he doesn't care how many players are on him. If he gets three players on him, he will still find find a way to get his head on the ball or his foot on the ball. Well, there we go. And I'll say my usual bit. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, comment on all of our social media pages. That is Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're posting daily content, so make sure you check that out. And then also, depending on where you're listening to us right now, head over to Spotify, Google Podcasts, or our RSS feed and have a listen of our other episodes. But thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm. Love the beautiful game.